This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 613, a completely made-up number, because there's been way more episodes of the show than that. Oh, by the way, this show is called the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, and my name is Matt Bum. It's more like 13-teen. 13-teen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> uh, I am, of course, the Internet's Joe Patrick. I remain the Internet's Joe Patrick. I always like it when people say that. <laughs> It's time for another Cosmic Long Box episode where we pick a theme and discuss eight classic comics from across the comic book time stream. After that, we head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to make our must-read picks for next week. Joe, can you feel that floor rumbling? Can you hear that sound? It's the Cosmic Long Box whirring into life to send us back into the comic time stream and we are powerless before it's power cosmic! I feel it way down deep in my nethers. Yes, you can't help it. It just shakes you. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, it, it, it gives you a feeling that you're not quite sure if it's good or bad. Yeah. But you know it's there. It's off-putting. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it gives you pause. Yes, and it's probably giving us cancer, too. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. This week's Cosmic Longbox theme was The Other Guys or... The League of Substitute Heroes, not the Legion of Substitute Heroes. That's a copyright infringement. That's right. That's right. We'd never do that. We're talking about the heroes that stepped up to fill in while a major hero was indisposed, fired, briefly dead. You get it. Yeah. Now, Matt, who's your first fill-in hero? My first fill-in hero is James Rhodey himself. Mr. James Rhodes, the war machine, who for a time was Iron Man. Iron Man 171 from Marvel. It's written by Denny O'Neill with art by Luke McDonnell, who's not a name that I remember. Luke McDonnell uh, drew a large chunk of the John Ostrander Suicide Squad. Oh, okay. He's good. We'll talk about him in a minute here. Mm -hmm. Tony Stark is a drunk, and he can't be trusted to wear the Iron Man armor anymore. So, who do you get to strap on the suit? James Rhodes, of course, but he's about to run headlong into Thunderball, a member of the Wrecking Crew who, Joe and I discussed, the only genius amongst the bunch. The rest of them? Yeah. Morons. <laughs> Just yes. morons. By the way, Thunderball is named because he has an enchanted Wrecking Ball with Asgardian magic. And how did he get that Asgardian magic? Turns out the Wrecker, who had an enchanted crowbar, held it up in the air, during a storm, Back to the Future style, got struck by lightning, everybody touched the wrecker, and they all got to share enchanted magic weapons. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, why not? He's looking for his ex-wife in the most romantic place in upstate New York, Niagara Falls. Unlike Tony, Rhodey is nude under the armor. <laughs> I mean, he's probably wearing his briefs. Come on. I don't know. He took his top off and there's nothing there. Thunderball finds his way to a research facility where he smashes his way in to be greeted in the weirdest way by female researcher Clytemenstra Irwin, which is quite the name. Yeah, yeah, those <laughs> names, woof. Clytemenstra, unlike the dude she works with, is not scared at all. She runs right out, and her plan is, I'm going to con this moron with my female wiles into digging me. He comes busting in and screams, you're not going anywhere, any of you. And she immediately says, how about the party? I mean, you have come to invite us to a costume party, haven't you, huh, cutie? <laughs> Which is exactly what you say to an immortal, super-powered black dude with a wrecking ball that just busted through a wall. <laughs> now, Thunderball, he's just a supervillain with an enchanted weapon and super strength slash invulnerability trying to win back his wife by smashing his way into a research facility and talking mad shit about her new husband. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, right? Oh, yeah, if I had a nickel. He demands, get the news, get the radio. I want to make a statement. His statement, he stands up and says, Rhonda Taddington, at least that was her name before she married that 
pig, Billy Leffingwell. I want to see her. I want a chance to convince her how wrong she is about me. And if I don't get it, <laughs> now, to be fair, we've all been wronged. We've all been heartbroken. This seems like a bad way to go about it. Uh, that's all I'm saying. So <laughs> after that, we get yeah. more of Clytemenstra's interesting dialogue where she reveals her plan by a thought via thought bubble where she says, sweetness and light are definitely not on the agenda. Thunderball's a binky bonker nutcase. Best I can do is get out of the way and hope to survive. <laughs> no, That'll do it. No one else in this book, including Rhodey, talks like this it's just Clytemenstra so <laughs> please stop saying her name <laughs> it's awful right I can't I can't handle it the idea of making Tony a drunk and taking him out of the suit was ballsy it was David Michelini and Bob Layton that wrote the demon in a bottle story that saw drunk Tony losing his job and James Rhodes taking over while Rhodey can't match Tony's genius he is a born hero and he's a badass that will find a way to win I'll give O'Neill props for not writing Rhodey like Luke Cage in the pages of Power Man and Iron Fist, who, at this point, was still calling people jive turkeys. <laughs> I love James Rhodes, and these early- He was celebrating, he was celebrating the, he was too busy celebrating the newly minted Martin Luther King Day with oh. the Vision and Scarlet Witch. <laughs> That's right. It's like, finally, black people get a holiday. And I gotta Thank work. God, racism is cured. <laughs> I love James Rhodes and these early appearances that saw a black man putting on the armor really were ballsy and well-drawn, too. Like I said, I didn't know Luke McDonald's name, but he is great here. Very classic, kind of Sal Bushima style, but with a more modern feel to it. This was the less remembered aftermath of the Demon in a Bottle storyline that is legitimately great. It's a wonderful intro to one of my favorite black characters. It's a bit of a wacky story, and of course, we had to have a black dude show up to fight a black dude, but I'm giving it a buy it. Hey, look, Tony's fought black dudes. It, I'm not saying he hasn't. It, it is what it is. You, you fight who you got to fight. I guess. But um, this is not Rhodey's first appearance, obviously, but this is, this is, the first this time is Rhodey, him getting the spotlight. This is the first time you put on the Iron Man way. armor, though, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the yeah. first Tony uh, uh, Rhodey as Iron Man. Um, and yeah, we'll, you know, it's, we'll talk it's, about another replacement hero that gets in, like, gets the job and sucks so bad at it later. Rhodey's pretty good from the get go. He's not bad. He puts the Iron Man armor. He's like, all right, I think I, I think I got this. He can fly yeah, around. Yeah, you know, bit, you know. I've seen Tony do this a million times. I got my smart friend telling me how it works. Sure. Uh, yeah, this was super fun. Uh, the 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 names are ridiculous <laughs> thunderball's plan is idiotic yeah uh like his the clement clement clementestra clementestra i believe it is clytomenstra clytomenstra <laughs> which sounds like a venereal disease it really does uh her aside like uh thunderball's ex-wife's name is Rhonda Taddington. Oh, so he's just running around shouting Rhonda Taddington. In Greek mythology, Clytemenstra was the wife of Agamemnon, king of uh, Mycenae. Wow, or Argos. Wee. There you go. Okay, well, I guess that explains that. There you go. Um, but yeah, you know what? This is, uh, you know, obviously a very historic story, and it's, uh, it was a, it was really cool to see. Uh, like I've never read this. It was cool to see for the first time, Rhodey coming into his own as Iron Man, which puts him on the path to later becoming uh, his own hero. Uh, War Machine, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was fun. It's a buy it. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'll, I'll I talk about this later on. You got to forgive some stuff when you're doing the Cosmic Long Box because things came For out sure. when they came out. For sure. Now, that said, we're going to talk about a bunch of replacement heroes here and there's like an overriding theme and that theme is they're not real good at their job <laughs> james rhodes pretty good at being iron man yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely uh, my first review is of captain america number 350 from marvel comics it came out in 1989 speaking of a replacement hero that's not very good at his job. <laughs> well, I mean, he was good, which is why he got chosen. The secret plot behind Steve Rogers being replaced as Captain America is finally revealed as his greatest foe makes a surprising return. 
His stand-in goes off the deep end, and he finally regains his rightful place as the Sentinel of Liberty. The story is from the legendary run of the late Mark Grunewald, and it is goofy as hell. Man, and wordy as hell. (laughs) It's true. The Red Skull, who escaped death in a cloned body of Steve Rogers, has turned from fascism to capitalism and politics, truly embracing the American dream in an attempt to destroy it. Well, he's still a fascist, though. I mean, like, he's I still, suppose, he goes I into suppose. it, and he, and he even, like, jokes, like, how easy it is to twist capitalism into my yeah, he's version. Yeah, like, he's going to use our own beliefs against yeah. us. <laughs> there were a couple uh, panels that I almost tweeted out and was like, it's strange how close this is to how the GOP thinks today. <laughs> boy. Naturally, he's the one that orchestrated Cap's fall from grace, forcing Steve to adopt the imaginatively named identity of the captain. Meanwhile, Cap's replacement, John Walker, is recuperating in the hospital after getting his ass beat by the flag smasher. Walker has been rapidly losing control, going so far as to commit murder, which was part of the Skull's plan to discredit the name of Captain America all along. Now it's all come to a head and it's time for Cap versus Cap for all the marbles. Grunewald definitely has a knack for Steve's character and his nobility shines through despite having adopted a different role. Uh, He has Walker make a turn from legit crazy to dedicated patriot in record time Uh, at the end. Don't forget like homicidal legit crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I thought I covered that when I said commit murder. <laughs> yes, but I mean, like he kills a bunch of people. It's he not like kills a, he accidentally beats one person and they die. No, 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 he no. Kills uh, a room full of people, and this right, is after yeah, uh, he killed a couple other room fulls of people. <laughs> right. Prior to this, prior to this story, he beat at least one villain to death. Yeah. Uh, and then in this issue, he de- he definitely kills an entire room full of henchmen. But, you know, at least it gets Steve back where he needs to be, and it sets Walker on his path towards becoming the U.S. agent. I go years without thinking of artist Kieran Dwyer, who fell away from mainstream comics years ago. But his work in this issue is fantastic. He's got a really unique dynamic style that lends itself really well to classic superhero comics. The rest of the issue is full of content, including a backup story by John Byrne, explaining how the Red Skull got his new body. Which pretty slick. That happened fast. <laughs> Courtesy of Arnim Zola, you yeah, know. Yeah, it and it's like, oh, we got to get this guy a new body. All right, hold on. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to read this uh, line because I just mentioned it in the last review. You know, Captain America 350 is what it is, but I had a blast reading it. It made me want to dive into the rest of Grunewald's run. I'm giving it a buy it. In the same way I gave uh, Iron Man a buy it. Like, it's weird. It's silly. The dialogue is strange, but I had fun. I won't, and the art is great. I won't apologize for this at all. It's a huge buy it. This is rad Captain America featuring yeah. like seven different dudes in weird patriotic outfits. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, they were all like different. There was like ultimatum. Uh, the watchdog, like they were all no, I don't all mean them. Different I, shitty agent, uh, secret spy agents. I'm talking about Cap in the black outfit, Johnny Walker oh, in the uh, Cap outfit, and then you've got uh, Battlestar, Battlestar, uh, uh, you, uh, John, John sidekick. Right, he was like his Bucky, and they're talking right. about Super Patriot and like all. It's crazy. Yeah, left winger and right winger who um he burned alive. Right, and left who are dead? Who are very dead? Like the issue before? No, no, this, they survived. They survived. Oh, they survived. Um, but he did. He definitely left them for dead. Yeah, the issue before this, John Walker fucked up bad, <laughs> like really, really bad. Not just that, lost the shield bad. <laughs> he lost the shield, and Cap and recovered like it in a yeah. hospital bed, like all tied up. And and he's mad at the dude that like saved his life. He's like, you should have left me alone. I would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to call Captain no, America to help me. No, John, you would not have been fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. This is is great fun. Uh, Kieran Dwyer, like, he was so good. Yeah, the art's great. And there's like, look, yes, there's a lot of dialogue here and a lot of chunky reading. But when we get in the action scenes. There are entire boardroom scenes. Yeah. When we get in the action scenes, they are badass. Like, nonstop action. Oh, yeah. The book opens with uh, the Red Skull, who is in a, like, cloned body of Steve, essentially, and looks just like Steve murdering five Captain Americas. Like, 
as a workout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's great. Just, just putting his body through the paces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's totally great. Huge buy it. This was so fun. I I didn't read this run. I'm aware of it. But this made me want to go back and just like read this entire run so bad. Yeah, for sure. Like I've read like I've read maybe three or four issues from this run. And uh, and I th- I thought this was a ton of fun. Yeah, they just don't make cap issues like this anymore. Next for me, I'm doing an entire replacement team. I'm talking about Fantastic Four, number 348 from Marvel. 1991. This was written by Walter Simonson with art by Arthur Adams. The Fantastic Four have been murdered! Or at least, that's what a scroll named Delilah, disguised as the Invisible Woman, wants Spider-Man, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and the Grey Hulk to believe. This group of unlikely heroes team up to become the new Fantastic Four and set out to defeat the monsters unleashed by Johnny Reed and Ben's killer. Did I mention that the scrolls had tagged the monsters of Monster Island with mind control darts and the mole man is not happy about it at all. The scrolls are actually trying to stop the rogue Delilah on her mission to find the egg of the inorganic technotroid or the ITT. And Reed is going to help. By the way, Reed is heavy into it. <laughs> There's like a scene um, I think they reveal in later issues that he's been brainwashed by her little device. Okay, because there's a scene where she's impersonating the Invisible Woman, and Reed knows she's not the Invisible Woman. But he's like, she's so fucking hot and dangerous. (laughs) And then later on he says, if you want her, you have to go through me. Yeah. While the new FF is smashing monsters, Reed is traveling with Skrull Sue to investigate a rock slide where Bigfoot may have hit the ITT, but the new FF is way ahead of Reed and Skrull Sue, and it turns out Delilah is a rebel being tracked by the Skrull Commandos. I remember buying this issue off the spinner rack as a 15-year-old kid and thinking, if this is the new FF, I am 100% in. Simonson's story moves at a breakneck pace and puts Reed in some weird, questionably horny places. Art Adams is one of my favorite comic artists. I remember this being just breathtaking. Upon revisit, don't get me wrong, it's still very good. But this is nowhere near his best stuff. This was fun. It, it was just a romp for the Fantastic Four. And Walt Simonson's brief run in the FF, it's not celebrated like John Byrne's run, but it was awesome slam bang Marvel comic book storytelling at its best. I loved revisiting this. This is another one. They just don't make FF comics like this. And they just don't do it anymore. Like four dudes heard the FF got killed and they were like, what? Well, we're the new FF. <laughs> like, and we're going to fuck those guys up. <laughs> right. I'm giving this a huge buy it. It was just so fun. Yeah, I, I loved this. Um, you know, I read this. Um, my grandma, uh, when, my, when my grandpa got uh, transferred to... Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas uh, with the Union Pacific. My grandma got a part-time job at Walmart. And one, uh, a couple of summers in a row, my sister and I went down there and spent two weeks with them uh, during the summer. And with nothing to do, I would go with grandma to work and just like hang out at Walmart for six hours. That's sad. Uh, they had a comic book rack though. I was like, yeah, take me to Walmart. I want to be, be there where the comics are. And um, they had a collected edition of the four issues of this story arc on the rack. And I was like, I need to read this. And so I like sat and read the entire thing. And I just have not, like, I'm, I constantly think about it to this day. It's like, I love it. I love it so much. It was so great. Um, I remember when this, when that series was done, when that four issues was done, I was like, well, done by NFF for now. <laughs> like, Wolverine's um, out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this is, it's so fun. Um, you know, Art Adams, like he's always been great. And while you said, you know, you, you made, you said that line about this isn't his best stuff. I think, I think it's wonderful. It's still great. Um, it's just not, this is far from the best Art Adams out there. I, mean, I see. Gotta- and I, I don't really think there's any reason to qualify it because I think it's an, um, I think it's amazing. It's amazing art. Uh, and, uh, you know, like uh, younger Art Adams, his style was a little bit more, uh, it was a little bit harsher. 
It was a little bit more angular. Yeah. Um, more modern Nick, uh, Nick Adams, more modern art Adams. If you look at his faces, they're much rounder, more cherubic almost. No, definitely. Um, but there's uh, also and, like, uh, like I loved this he used kind to, of like, he used to cheat a little bit when he was younger. Like when there's characters in the background, why draw their faces at all? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it was a different time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, art Adams is having a ton of fun drawing all these monsters. Uh, Mole Man is there. The, our our Moloids show up. It's a, a total blast. It's a huge buy it, you know. And, you know, for a 90s comic, it holds up. Oh, it totally holds up. It holds up in uh, a way okay. that a lot of these Aside other ones Aside from don't. the fact that, like, Delilah's plan was, I'm going to tie up the Fantastic Four and stick them in the elevator. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I, I've tied them up in such a way that yeah. if they try to wrangle free, they'll yeah. strangle each other. The thing, you know. <laughs> really? the, yeah, the, it, it's, it's the she thing. It's, right. it's uh, Sharon. Oh, that's Ventura. right. It was Sharon. That's right. Yeah. It's like, okay, Johnny Storm can't, like, light his pinky toe on fire nope. and get everybody out. No, nope. it'll strangle everybody. Sorry. <laughs> The great halls of Celestial Asgard, a royal voice is raised in protest. Next up for me is uh, Thor number 433. This is also from Marvel 1991. The Odin son has been banished and stripped of his power after killing Loki, and his spirit has been stolen away by nefarious forces. Now Thor's friend and former host Eric Masterson is the new god of thunder. And after a disastrous first battle against Ulick the Troll, Eric decides it's time to stop pretending to be the real Thor and do things his own way, damn it. Which is funny because I remember reading other comics that weren't Thor where he was clearly pretending to be Thor. <laughs> <laughs> like he was talking in these and thous and yeah. Captain America. Yeah, and no stuff. problem. Like, and in this, he's like, Bruh. I'll hold it thou there, mister. <laughs> I, I dost clobber thine with mine enchanted. Yeah, it's like, come on. Though DC gets a lot of credit for the boom of replacement heroes, Marvel got a jump on Reign of the Superman by almost a full year with Thor and the aforementioned Fantastic Four. Longtime creators Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends deliver a completely cheesy and bombastic tale about a new hero finding his footing, and there's a charm to it, but it feels dated even for 1991. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. DeFalco, DeFalco's dialogue is Silver Age soul pain that would make Stan Lee proud. Like, he, in, in the 1990s, he's got a squad of, like, special ops police officers called Code Blue, and they rush into battle shouting, Yahoo! Like they're the howling fucking commandos or something. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I've always been a fan of Ron Friends, and I thought his art was really great here. This is the first issue after a long run where Friends was inked by the legendary Joe Sinnott, who was finally retiring in 1991 after 40 years in the business. Yeah, and if he had, I think he was like 104 at that right. point. Uh, and it, sa it says in the... Uh, uh, letters column there's like a little note from ron friends about what an honor it was uh that when he met joe sinnott for the first time he found out that sinnott actually inked the first appearance of thor in journey into mystery 83 so he didn't even know that he was going to be working with the creator of thor at the time good lord i know or the co-creator i guess i don't know i don't know if inkers get co-creator credit but you know of course, what I mean. tracers no <laughs> Thor 433 is definitely an early 90s comic with early 60s dialogue. And though I did get some enjoyment from it, there's a reason people don't really talk about this era of Thor much these days, uh, except for our friend Ora McWilliams, who loved Thunderstrike. Okay, I was going to say. Loved. That's Loved Eric dude. Masterson. That is different. Because I would argue Eric Masterson sucks at being Thor sucks at it well and like, this is his first day as thor what he like, needs is a sleeveless jacket <laughs> so he can become thunderstrike he, <laughs> he needs a ponytail a yeah. sleeveless jacket yeah baby and a huge wallet chain at the end of his hand oh, that's right <laughs> then he know then he'll know yeah, what's then up then he feels way chiller like all hashed out you know <laughs> yeah uh i'm gonna give this a skim it just because like it's it's so cheesy it's so cheesy. Yeah, it's a skimmer for me too. And it, like, it's 
look, this isn't good. This just isn't good. And I don't like this look of Thor with the mask and everything. And they really ham up the like, he's not Thor, but he's doing his best. You know, like, I okay. was just, I was, I was just, uh, I was just writing my review of uh, the Wonder Woman issue that I'll be talking about in a few minutes. Oh boy. Who has a, a paralyzed friend in the hospital due to a super villain attack. And I was trying to think, yeah, I looked at the previous issue to see how the friend got injured. But no, I was remembering Thor, who also has a friend in the yes. hospital who's paralyzed <laughs> follow us, following yes. a supervillain attack. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. That was going around. Yeah, not yeah. to mention the fact that, like, Eric's like, man, these, these Thor clothes just aren't working for me. I'm going to go see a tailor and have him make me a Thor outfit and be like, oh, no, you're going to be quiet about this, right? Like, oh, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> well, he showed up as Thor. He, like, he shows up as Thor dressed like the Terminator. Yeah, but he's not talking like Thor at all. He's talking like a dude that's just like walking off the street. It's like, hey, my Thor costume sucks. Can you help me out here? Hey, I don't know. It, yeah, it was, no, he's, he's using he's using the, uh, the, the short-lived Thor alter ego of Sigurd Jarlson. <laughs> that's right. I don't care about this Thor. I, I don't care about Eric Masterson. There is a soft spot in my heart for Thunderstrike because it's so stupid. And part of me secretly loves the Thor core. <laughs> but that's for a different time. When they tried to give Thor the Green Lantern treatment. But we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Skim it from me. Next up, I got a comic book with two replacement heroes. Green Lantern, number 76 from DC. The year was 1996. This was written by Ron Mars with art by Paul Pelletier. Hard Traveling Heroes was a celebrated storyline written by the aforementioned Denny O'Neill and Elliot McGinn back in the 70s, featuring Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen on street-level adventures. But in the mid-90s, Hal had become Parallax, and Ollie, well, he was dead. <laughs> the two were replaced by Kyle Rayner, the masked Green Lantern, and Connor Hawk, the Buddhist monk son of Ollie who were about to set out on a road trip of their own. Kyle is dealing with some daddy issues of his own after seeing Graven, the youngest son of Darkseid, railing against his father in the last issue. There's even some kind of like touching moment where Kyle's like, hey, that poor Graven kid, he sure had it rough. Never had a good father figure, that Darkseid. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you a little bit. Let me. <laughs> Graven let is me a tell bad, you a bad bit. guy, right? <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about Graven real quick. Uh, Graven shows up in the pages of Green Lantern, having never been mentioned before. Yeah. As the bastard son of Darkseid, aren't they all? I mean, yeah. Is there like anybody or like Darkseid's wife? There's like, like a that's legitimate son of Darkseid. Right? <laughs> um, no. Graven has his dad's like rocky dark skin, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, of course you might as a, as a descendant of Darkseid. He also had a luscious oh, yeah. Jerry Curl mullet. That's right. It was like kind of a like, metal mane, though, like sort of a hair metal mane. It, it not, to me, it looked like it was like full of soul glow from coming to America. I mean, okay, but I'll give you like, like I, he was letting his soul glow. I was seeing like a Nikki Six kind of thing. He looked know? like sexual chocolate. <laughs> Uh, and then also he crippled Jon Stewart. What an asshole. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Kyle is searching for his dad and Connor's buddy, Mark Marin lookalike, Eddie Fires, is on oh, God, the case. Yeah. <laughs> so Kyle and Connor are off on the road to Nebraska to find Kyle's dad. Now, Kyle never misses a chance to summon a busty babe. And by the way, he is crazy horny in this. And Connor is basically asexual. He was raised in a monastery, and he's not really interested in sex, let alone women. Unlike their fathers, who dealt with drug dealers and all manner of street crime. In Racism, this, you know. In this first issue, the two run into a good old small town cop judging big city boys who just want to hump the sheriff's daughter. <laughs> and they proceed to beat the hell out of the cops. It sounds like I'm going to bury this comic. But there is so much heart here in dealing with Kyle and Connor's daddy issues. Peltier's art is fine with some moments of brilliance but his best work would be later on when he's working with Jeff Johns and Aquaman in the 2010-2011 series I love this run of Green Arrow and Green Lantern so much and both of these replacement characters have a very special place in my heart is this great comic booking? no but is it fun? yes and I'm giving it a buy it I love these characters 
I, I love the Ron Mars run of, of Green Lantern, and I've been a fan of Paul Pelletier forever. Um, he had a series of backup stories featuring the Pantheon, which was the weird organization that the Smart Hulk joined during Peter David's run. Uh, like pre-issue 100 of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Not pre-issue 100, pre-issue 400 of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, so I've always loved him. He also did a bunch of work for Malibu Comics. Uh, That's where he kind of got his start. And uh, yeah, it's it's weird. Gosh, how many reviews in are we so far? One, two, three, four, maybe four or five. And they have all been horny as hell. Kyle is problematically horny and comes right out and says it. He's like, look, man, I like beautiful women. Not going to apologize for it. That's why I summoned this Green Lantern jet that we're both sitting in flying in Nebraska. And the pilot, super hot. It's got huge knockers. <laughs> right. He's She's dude, wearing like, a, a flight jacket with obviously no shirt on. Yeah, what are you trying to prove, Kyle? <laughs> That's my question. Yeah, yeah, like with the exception of Thor, all of these books have featured somebody just pretty much laid. Yeah, Kyle's crazy straight and he wants you to know it. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, look, man, I got a dick and I know how to use it. If anybody it. here is not gay, it's totally me. Just say it. <laughs> okay, Kyle. Um, yeah, we get it, Kyle. Okay. Uh, uh. Uh, but no, I like... It's like you say, for all of for all of that, there's uh, so much excellent character stuff. Yeah, definitely. And like I, lo- I really liked the journey that Kyle goes on to find his dad. And and when you end up finding out what happened to his dad, it's kind of like, kind of a bummer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think he finds out. I don't think he actually finds out until Judd Winnick's run. But um, I don't think they needed to call this hard traveling heroes too. You know, like I mean, it's the first time the two teamed up and just do it. You know, their ongoing just make books. it a spiritual it's, successor. <laughs> it is a it is a spiritual successor. It's written right on the cover. So. Well, I think it's say I think it says hard traveling heroes the next generation. Regardless, um, but. That's yeah, right. Yeah, up there no, with I, Blues I, Brothers 2000. Okay, sure, sure. Uh, no, I loved this. It's a buy it from me. I think the art's great and the story is great. And yeah, Kyle just loves he just digs chicks, man. Morning, dude. What are you gonna do? He's a it's like he says, he's a man in his early 20s. I like pretty women. <laughs> okay, Kyle, I guess like no uglies, no fatties. You know what I'm saying, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easy, Kyle. Jesus. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Next up for me, oh boy, is the previously mentioned Wonder Woman. It's issue number 93 from DC Comics. It's from 1995. There are 90s comics, and then there are 90s comics. Yeah. Wow. Wonder Woman 93 swings wildly in the direction of the latter. It's just a few guns and pouches away from burying the needle. Yeah, this one's so guilty. So guilty. (laughs) It's just crazy. There's nothing wrong with the story, per se, uh, outside of some dated dialogue from writer William Mesner Loves. Uh, Diana has lost the title of Wonder Woman to Artemis in the ancient Amazonian contest. Spoilers. It would later be revealed that the whole thing was orchestrated by Diana's mom, Hippolyta, because of a prophecy that Wonder Woman was soon going to die in battle. And because Hippolyta was a bitch <laughs> at the time. Double spo- she was a double huge spoilers. bitch. Right? <laughs> double spoilers. It totally came true. Sorry, Artemis. There's a lot going on in this issue besides the passing of the torch. Mob battles are tearing the city apart. Diana's friend is paralyzed following an attack by an evil sorceress. And she takes a part-time job with a private investigator because she's hard up for cash for some reason. Like, come on. <laughs> really? Like you don't have some artifact you could sell for a few million dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> come on. There's also something about an Amazon code that I've never heard of where Diana can't use the Wonder Woman title to make money. Uh, oops, nobody tell Artemis. <laughs> uh, and she she can't fight back unless she has to. So all of the villains stop resisting, thinking they won't get beat up. Which is weird. I've never seen that in any Wonder Woman story before. Yeah, I mean, I, admittedly, I haven't read enough Wonder Woman to say, like, no, that's not a thing. But as far as I know, that is not I mean, a thing. So. It, it must have been a thing during this run, but, uh, like, I, it, it was new to me. Correct us if we're wrong, please. Yeah. You Lay know it on Don't us, correct it. As we used I, to say. No, thank you. Don't correct us if we're wrong. I don't care. I do. I don't want to know about it. Lay it on us. 
<laughs> uh, plus, Hawkman shows up, but we're not going to worry about that right now. It's not important. It's literally an afterthought. Yeah, she's like, um, I'll talk to you later. I got to get this guy yeah. to the hospital. They're like, well, and then that's the end. Like, put Hawkman in two pages. It's guaranteed to sell the book. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was always vaguely aware of this era of Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm pretty sure I even glanced at the trade of the contest at a Walden Books at the Mall of the Bluff once. At the Mall of the Bluffs once. But I completely forgot how ridiculous young Mike Diodato's art used to be. Uh, when Matt and I were texting about this earlier, he said, quote, everyone is nine feet tall and weighs less than 100 pounds. Seriously. They, they're like and just waif models. The tallest, you were, freakiest yeah. waif models you've ever uh, seen. Like they looked like Barbie dolls. Like you were totally right. Zero size uh, waist, broken backs to stick yes. their boobs out. Uh, you know, like, you, you did leave out the fact that there are thongs everywhere. Uh, and everyone, including the male villains, has enormous gravity-defying breasts. Oh, yeah. There's a panel. All of them. There's a page with three panels of Artemis' butt in a row. Butt, butt, butt. Like yeah. three different butt shots of Artemis. God. Uh, it, it's strange because you can see real talent in Diodato's work, especially in his faces, uh, when he's not making them all look like expressionless dolls. Like... There are close-ups of like one of the one of the agents that tries to woo Artemis. That's like really it's a really well-drawn face. Um, there that scene in the hospital with one woman's friend, like there's a close-up of her that's gorgeous. Uh, and then it's just like, okay, all of the women look the same. They're just in different clothes with yeah. different hair color. Wonder Woman for some reason is wearing a bra and biker shorts. Oh my god. Uh, uh pardon me, not not Wonder Woman, Diana. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, I try to forgive a lot during the Cosmic Long Box because of how times have evolved. But while I can see Diodato's future potential and why Messner Loeb's was appreciated as a writer at the time, Wonder Woman 93 is better left back in 1995 where I found it. I'm giving it a leave it. I, I'm not faulting either of these guys for this. I'm not because this reeks of DC editorial saying, hey, that Gen 13 book, it's selling like hotcakes. We got a kinky character, Wonder Woman. And and maybe they were like, I, we can't do that to Diana. And they're like, all right, fuck it. Take her out and, and dress her up. We'll do it to Artemis. We'll put Artemis in the butt floss and send her in to shake her shit, you know, or whatever. But this was seriously like, coming to the poll next, gentlemen, put your hands together for Artemis. <laughs> you know, like, they, they were just stressed like strippers. It was so bad. And it just reeked of, oh, my God, Gen 13 and the image books are taking all our readers. We got to do something for Wonder yeah. Woman to get people to read. Yeah. I mean, like, not that, the, not, that there, not that there's anything wrong with exotic dancing. No. You do, you do what you got to do. God bless you. But, you know? This is like, this is so obviously like trying to get horny teens. Oh, yeah. Like pubescent boys yeah. excited about Wonder Woman. Like, oh, you, you boys are afraid to buy porn, but you want it in your comics? Sort of, kind of. Hey, Wonder Woman, have you seen this shit? Whoa. <laughs> like, this is, the, this is the kind of thing that leads to, you know, uh, or that is born out of, I suppose. Uh, the Marvel swimsuit specials. Well, yes and no. You this know, is, this uh, is where it's like, oh no, have you seen that shit? I mean, yeah, no, it's but, like. But what I'm saying is, like, this is them trading in the bad girl market as much as they can without going full bad girl. And I'm, I like I said, I don't fault either of them. I'm giving to leave it. This is trash. This is an embarrassing time for Wonder Woman, and easily the worst costume Diana has ever put on. I sent you, I sent you another text. There was a first reveal of her in her new costume with the jacket and the bustier and the biker shorts. And under it, I just said, Oh my God. <laughs> it's just yeah. terrible. I can't give it a bigger leave it. It's embarrassing, but I do not think it is these creators fault. I think this is DC editorial saying, this is what we want. Do it. Yeah, I mean, I'll meet you halfway on that. I, I I think that that's probably part of it, but this was also Diodato's shtick for a long time after that's this. That's true. That's true. This one makes me tired just thinking about it. Next <laughs> up is Sensational Spider-Man, number three from Marvel. It was 1996. This was written and drawn by Dan Jurgens with inks by Klaus Janssen. Where to even start? Ben Riley was a clone of Peter Parker, created by the Jackal 
back in the 70s in Amazing Spider-Man number 149. Now, at this point, they want Marvel, we'll say, want you to believe that Ben was the actual Peter Parker and Peter Parker was the clone. And holy shit, did fans hate it. (laughs) It was all part of a ridiculous plan by Norman Osborn. But here we are. Peter Parker got in a fight with Ben, beat Ben to near death, threw him into a smokestack where Ben was rescued by the Jackal who switched his body out with a skeleton. And now Ben Riley has that skeleton in a web backpack and he's going to the Avengers mansion. They're shacked up in Janet Van Dyne's place right now because Avengers mansion got blown up recently. By the way, I did not recognize any of these Avengers when I saw them. Because well, that's giant, man. It's, it's, but it's everybody Hank, was in a very nineties costume at the they're time. They're in their nineties outfits. Yeah. I, I think, um, the Hawkeye costume, the only reason it was him because he had arrows. It was like, who the hell? Is yeah. That? That, that was Hawkeye. <laughs> um, there was also, I think, uh, there's a guy with a mullet and no beard. I think that's Hercules. I, I couldn't even tell, honestly. And then the black widows next to him. But first, Ben needs to stop by Ravencroft Asylum, where Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, has escaped. On top of that, Hank Pym's tests show that the skeleton is Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. They, like, do the test. They're like, Who's, whose body is this? We got to know. And they're like, oh, my God. It, they don't say it's Peter Parker. They say it's Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. They, it's weird because they make they make a point of, of, of Hank saying, um, I've had the computer model go ahead and fill in the costume over the body. Yeah. And they're like, it's totally, like, okay. This is totally like, Spider-Man. What, like, what does that which mean? Which of course is like, <laughs> which is cool with Ben Riley, but like, wouldn't they think that he's trying to identify the body? Right. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. Jurgens draws the most homely MJ I have ever seen here. Excuse like, me, she's pregnant. She, she's with child. She's also dressed like someone's grandmother. But his art is on point with helps from Klaus Johnson on inks. This was some fast and loose Spidey storytelling back in the day with creators going nuts on this clone bullshit. And like I said, the fans hated it. And several of the creators totally admit that this just spun out after a while and left them asking questions like, so if Norman Osborn was behind like this whole thing, why would Norman have like let his own son die and let all this shit right, happen yeah. and several characters, you know, carried out who turns out they weren't even Spider-Man at the time. There's so many problems with Ben Riley actually being Spidey. We don't even have time to go into it in the next three episodes of this show. Although I am working on Joe on changing our format yet again, but regardless, I never read any no. of the Spidey clone lunacy, but I got to say, I am intrigued, to say the least. Oh, geez. (laughs) This shit is ridiculous, and I kind of need to know more. I'm giving it a buy it. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay. I didn't see that coming. It was just so bonkers. you told me that you hated it. It was so fucking bonkers. I ended up reading this whole four-part storyline just going, what is happening? (laughs) Wait, doesn't this storyline also... Uh, no, that might be later. Ben Riley that becomes be- Carnage in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, there's a there's another story that I'm mixing it up with where um, the Silver Surfer gets possessed by the Carnage symbiote. With, that's a different story. Yeah, not Sorry. in this one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, my favorite part of this issue, outside of everything, uh, is is uh, Ben Riley in costume comes across uh, a mugging victim uh, on his way to. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where I he's, think he's going. going I, think to he's, I think he's. Oh no! You know what? He's talking to Peter in the car. I think. Yeah, they're on the they're on their way to the Avengers compound. Uh, or or he's having a flashback. It doesn't fucking matter. And Peter's um, just like, "Yep, I'm not Spider Man. That's crazy." I know. <laughs> like he just totally accepted it. He's like, "Well, yeah. I mean, you Woo! have to re- you have to remember that this all came out of like dozens and dozens of titles right. with spinoffs and spinoffs and spinoffs." Peter's also depowered at this point. Yes, there was a mini series called Spider Man: The Final Adventure, where he loses his powers. Okay. Uh. But they leave it on a cliffhanger uh, or they leave it in such a way that his powers can be restored. And that was because 
while the original plan was to have Ben replace Peter as the original, Dan Jurgens was like, no, this is bullshit. The fans hate it. You can't do this. <laughs> and, and he convinced them. Uh, like he convinced the editor, like the powers that be, they're like, you're right. We have to bring Peter back. So by the time this came out, they were already planning Peter's return. Yeah. This is just uh, like the Batman Azrael stuff we talked about where like right. they got well, into the, it. But that we always knew was temporary. Right. You know what I mean? But like they had plans to do it for a while and the fans hated it so fucking much oh, sure, that they were right. like, never mind. Sorry. But, <laughs> so like... Uh, there's a lot going on here. There's I remember the, there's the skeleton. My Jeff there's Peter the was reading this like weekly and like yeah. hate reading Spider Man and like would throw it down when he was done and just be like, "Fuck!" <laughs> I just hated it. And uh, I love, I loved it at the time. Um, but yeah, so you've got you've got the skeleton, you've got Ben Riley, you've got depowered Peter in his sedan, you've got Grandma <laughs> Mary Jane, and you're right, she does look like a grandma. My God, she looks um, terrible. <laughs> You've got the Avengers and their like this ridiculous DNA testing machine, which is on par with the hospital. <laughs> totally. Uh, the hospital envision in Scarlet Witch that can siphon life force. Right. Uh, like every hospital has one. Um, but my favorite part, my favorite ridiculous part is um, Ben flashing back to uh, finding a mugging victim. And he says, oh, no, you're him. Get away from me. You're him. And Ben's like, no, what are you talking about? I'm not him. And he said, no, his face was red like yours. And he had glow in the dark eyes. And Ben, who has been Spider-Man for five whole minutes, goes, must have been Carnage. Yeah, he's like, oh, you mean Carnage? No, I'm not Carnage. What, Carnage has escaped? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay, first of all, how do you know that? Second, that's what you go to. And third, you know that that means Carnage escaped and is on the run because this dude said it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, and also... There is the uh, subplot about Ben's girlfriend, who happens to be the daughter of the burglar that killed Uncle Ben. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing, um, like while they're in the Avengers mansion and they're like analyzing the skeleton that turns out to be Spider-Man in quotes. Peter, Peter, Peter is, it's like puts he's the like, picture into he's photoshopping like, the image. Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to stick this in this picture enhancer over here. And see, oh, my God, is that who I think it is? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so it's bad. it is it is uh, super crazy bonkers. Um, it, and uh, you know, but I loved it at the time. I loved Sensational Spider-Man. I love Ben Riley. Uh, it's a buy it from me. Uh, I agree that the art is great, and I'm not normally a fan of Claus Jansen as an inker. Um, but I want to tell. I want to really briefly mention the history because we were texting back and forth about how silly this was last night. And it led me on a Wikipedia deep dive about the history of the production of the Clone Saga. The Clone Saga was supposed to wrap up after one year. Right. It was such a sales juggernaut that the sales team, not the creative, like not the editorial team or the creators, the sales team demanded that they keep extending the storyline over and over, spreading it out into more spinoffs, more one shots, more tie ins. Nothing pushes creativity like sales, baby. I'll tell you yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and it got to the point uh, that they really didn't know what they were doing with it. And at that time, Marvel got hit by their huge financial troubles. And all of the editors working on the series at the time got fired. <laughs> and they split up all of the Marvel properties into individual offices. So this is where we got that. We got an era where like, there's a separate X office. There's a separate Avengers office. Yeah. There's a yeah. um, Daredevil and the Hulk and Doctor Strange. They were like on the edge, right? That was their like yeah, yeah, tagline. Yeah. And and like and, nobody talks to anybody. Nobody meets. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all in separate and, universes. Right. And uh, so like they changed, like they kept changing midstream. And then ultimately... The editor, like the editor that inherited it from Terry Cavanaugh, who was Bob Buddy Ansky, who inherited this issue, uh, who edited this issue, got let go. He got laid off. And Bob Harris, the editor in chief, took it over and drove it into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Bob Harris is pretty famous for like, he's not exactly well loved in the industry. No, uh, <laughs> so. Like, it, 
Bob Harris was so disliked at Marvel that uh, Al Milgram, legendary inker, who has inked and drawn many things that we have raved about on this show. Uh, he inked a fuck you message to Bob Harris in the background of one of the issues of Earth X. And the artist uh, or the editor or the colorist or whoever didn't catch it. And it went to print and Al Milgram got fired. <laughs> yeah, but man, worth it. Worth yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Bob Harris. You piece of but, shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is great. It's great in such a weird and crazy way that like you just have to experience yeah. it. It's a buy it from me. Um, and Matt has almost convinced me uh, into doing a THN super special about the Clone Saga. Man. We'll maybe discuss that at some point. Oh, I want to do it. These deep dives are so fun. They're so they fun. Are. When you start they getting into like, not just the ridiculousness of the comic, but like what these poor bastards were being forced to write. What they had to go through, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can tell they're just like, seriously? <laughs> okay, I'll throw yeah. it in there. No, <laughs> like you should... You should read, you should get on Wikipedia. There are two sections of the Clone Saga Wikipedia. There's um, there's like creative uh, drama and production drama uh, that are like fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. Fascinating. I'm sure. This is like just, this led to drunken nights of like pulling your hair out and like staring at that handgun. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like all like, I wanted to do was write Spider-Man. It was my dream. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like it, it got to it got to it got so bad that Dan Jurgens actually quit Sensational Spider-Man because Marvel kept dragging out the conclusion. He was like, fuck it, I'm out. There it goes. I'll catch up with it in a flash. OK, wow. Our final review of this week goes to Flash 152 from DC Comics. The year was 1999. Wally West is gone, but there's a new Flash in town and he's one tough Ombre. There's much more to the story than that, of course, and I could tell you all about the strange tale of Cobalt Blue and the Chain Lightning Saga. That's a whole nother super only, special we could do. <laughs> this is already a two-hour show. In Wally's absence, Jay Garrick is picking up the slack, but the new Flash don't need no help from no old-timer. Writer Mark Wade sets up a compelling mystery surrounding the new Flash's identity and motivations. Uh, there's a great final or final sequence where he comes to Jay and he's like, look, I'm sorry. I was a dick. I'm not your enemy. I can't do this job without you. He takes off his mask and he says, I need you to vouch for me. We don't see who it is. And Jay is like, oh, God, of course. Yes, absolutely. I will. And we don't learn for quite some time. Spoiler alert that it is the. Uh, that it is an older version of Wally West from an alternate universe. Jesus. Uh, one who's like his Linda got murdered and uh, he ended up going crazy and killing some villains. And now he's gone back in time. Uh, it, it's like a, it's a whole thing. It's always a joy to revisit Mark Wade's run, uh, which I've said before is one of my favorites. Uh, coincidentally, this issue deals with the fallout of the last Flash issue I reviewed, which saw Wally's brand new wife, Linda, vanish from existence on the night of their wedding. And the rest of this arc with the Dark Flash deals with that. <clears throat> the Whoops. art by Paul Pelletier, who we talked about earlier today, is excellent. Uh, I do love the design of the new Flash's costume. You know, it might be a little bit... Uh, it might be a little dated, but I think it looks pretty sleek. It's, yeah, I mean, it's not, look, it's been worse. I'll say that, but it's not sure. great here. Look, look, I'll take this over the uh, version of the original costume we have now with all the fucking lines. Drawn oh, hands down. Yeah. Or the new 52, like weird, like crab exoskeleton he was wearing. Yeah. No, thank like, you. Ugh. Even at its wackiest, see the aforementioned cobalt blue, who, by the way, is the previously unknown twin brother of Barry Allen. <laughs> you can't go wrong revisiting this era of The Flash. Issue 152 is no exception. It's a buy it. Yeah, okay. So as, for as much as we joked about the Clone Saga and how wacky it was, this run of The Flash was equally wacky. No question. Well, no. But, uh, but hold on. I mean, it, it, hold on. it took some big swings. Hold on. 
it was better executed in its wackiness. Yes. It, it took big swings. Yes. It, you know, it, it, it had its moments where like, like Wally gets replaced as the flash at least twice during Wade's run, maybe thrice. And, uh, I think it's three damn times, but that, but every time it's great. Yeah. Like that, I'm totally into it. DC let Mark Wade take these huge swings and you could tell this was creator driven. This was not them pitching some sales bullshit because they thought it would the, Oh man, it just gets better and better. Introduce the cobalt blue and replace him again, replace him again. No, this was Mark Wade going insane with this character and it's great. It's completely yeah. wacky, but it's very yeah. well executed. And I'm giving it a huge buy it. I love this run of the flash and unapologetically love it at its wackiest. I do too. I do too. It, like, and it still holds up for me, even when it's, even when it shows its age. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Mark Wade still has it. Yeah. All right, Bob, who was your favorite fill-in hero from this pile? I would argue- and- Oh, sorry. What was your favorite comic? We'll do, we'll do two. We'll do a twofer. Okay. I would argue that of this pile, I think James Rhodes was the most capable fill-in hero right off the bat. Like Connor he, Hawk, though, dude. Connor Hawk, I love. Don't get me wrong. He's far and away my favorite fill-in hero. <laughs> I love Connor Hawk as Green Arrow so much. But from day one, James Rhodes showed up, did the job. He was an army dude fucking bad as hell. I love that character. Love James Rhodes. My favorite comic from this pile though. I think man, I'm so tempted to give it sensational Spider-Man because it was so fucking gnarly weird, but I, I got to go with the green lantern book. I just love those two characters so much. I love Kyle. I love Connor and I love this run and I love this story and where it went. I'm giving it to green lantern 76. See, and I thought you'd give it to uh, Captain America, but it, it's yeah. great. It's great. I just don't feel as much for that cap. Yeah, no, same. Like, I don't have a connection to it yeah. because I didn't read it as a kid. Yeah. And I would like to revisit the Grunwald cap stuff. Definitely. Right. Yeah. So my favorite replacement hero in this batch, in this batch, um, is. Mm, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be Rhodey. Um, as my favorite replacement hero, but my favorite comic, I'm going to actually give it to, uh, the flash. Uh, I'm giving it to flash 152 just because like it, it, it was such a, like, it was such a, a huge mystery at the time. I was yeah. just like, I have to know. Yeah. I have to know who this flash is. I can't and even going- say Wally is your, was your favorite from this pile. Come on. Well, just say it. You love it's not Wally. really, but it's not really Wally. It's, it's right. a, okay. He's a different, All right. his name is, Wal, his name is Walter. Actually, his name is Walter West. This was Walrus West. Wal, Walrus <laughs> West. <laughs> Walrus West. Yeah. There's Wal, um, yeah, Walter. And then there's Walrus is the Wally. Right. We love. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just revisiting Wade's run specifically this mystery I just like I flashed right back to like how caught up I was in uh, who the who the new Flash was, where he would appear next, because the, he they repeated the same scene uh, in I think it was JLA and Titans, where he talks to Donna Troy and to Superman, uh, and he's like, "Look, I just want you to know I'm on your side." This is and he reveals his identity. And so, like, he went to these three people, and all three of them, like, without hesitation, were like, that's the Flash. Yeah. Trust him. Don't worry about it. It's the Flash. Yeah. And that was them telling us, the reader, this is your guy. Yeah. This is your guy. And, uh, yeah, and I just, I, in, I in love about it. 10 I years, love it then. I love we're going to yank your guy right out from under him, under you guys, and give you the old guy back. And then we're going to do shit directly into the guy that you love's mouth. Over, over, over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Deal with it. Now that we've returned to our timeline, it's time to head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum, 
where our cursed magic tomes will help us divine what you nerds should be reading next week. Joe Patrick, what's your must-read pick for next Wednesday? Next week, I can't wait to read Nightwing number 78 from DC Comics. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Nightwing is back. And his drive to keep Bloodhaven safe has never been stronger. But his adopted city has elected a new mayor with the last name Zuko. Not good if you know that name. When Nightwing enlists Batgirl's help in investigating the politician bearing the same name as the man who murdered his parents, she unearths details that will shock and fundamentally change the hero. Uh, There's a little bit of thing about how great the creators are, and I agree that they are. Um, I have been dying for Nightwing to be good. Dying. I'll take mediocre Nightwing over what we've yes. had. My God. Um, and I am so, like, I have enjoyed so much of what Tom Taylor has done yeah. uh, to revitalize characters. Like, he's taken characters that I thought were silly, like X-23, who he turned into an amazing uh, character in all-new Wolverine. He revitalized the Suicide Squad in a way that I was really enjoying uh i did not like any of the stuff that came out of the new 52 with the suicide squad not at all and uh i i think he's such a strong writer like i know he's got his critics um but you know he's done stuff like make like deceased you think of tom taylor or tom king tom king i'm thinking of tom taylor i didn't think i think tom taylor has some critics out there too all right but but like he's he's making magic out of the dumbest ideas. Like he's great. deceased, he you know? is great. And so I can't wait for him to take on Nightwing. Uh, I love Bruno Redondo, who was his artist on Suicide Squad. Welcome back, welcome back, Dick. Yeah, I want to enjoy Dick Grayson again. I need that Dick. <laughs> They're gonna give you that Dick. Don't worry. <laughs> give me, give me that Dick. Where that Dick though? My pick for next week is. Black Knight curse. It's supposed to be curse of the ebony blade. I sure curse of the ebony blade. <laughs> but Marvel bills it as Black Knight curse ebony blade number one of five from Marvel Comics. Thirty-two pages. It's three ninety-nine. It's written by Simon Spurrier with art by Sergio Davila. Here is your solicit. The greatest knight of them all rides again. Dane Whitman is the Black Knight and wielder of the magic ebony blade, but. The blade's power comes at a terrible price. Dane forever bears the burden of its curse, an insatiable lust for blood and mayhem that constantly threatens to swallow its owner in darkness. Must that be Dane's fate? Following the battle against the King in Black, a reinvigorated Dane has a greater sense of purpose than ever before, but his sword is a key to a new enemy's evil plan, and only the Black Knight can prevent the coming death and destruction. This conflict-spanning mythical Camelot to modern-day NYC will test Dane like never before and challenge everything he believes about himself. The Ebony Blade and the entire history of the Black Knight, guest-starring the Avengers! Man, they really, really, really wanted you to know his name was Dane. Yeah, Dane, Dane, Dane. Uh, So Sysburrier just wrote the King in Black, Black Knight book. Uh, The one-shot, yeah, I reviewed that. It was great. I love this character. He's been underused for so long. Finally, all we had to do was get an Eternals movie for them to get interested in making comic books about him again. And I love Cy Spurrier. I think this is going to be a ton of fun. The art looks amazing, by the way. Oh, yeah. Sergio Davia. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big fan of the Black Knight, so I am with you there. Give him his winged horse back. Come on. Don't be scared. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. The THN trade of the week goes to The Fall. It's a trade from Image Comics written and drawn by Jared Maralt. It's 152 pages for $16.99. Here's your solicit. This is a... Uh, I'm not going to read that shit. Just oh, read sure it. I will. Don't be Why afraid. Not? Read it. Readers who found themselves gripped by the apocalyptic adventure of Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead and who were moved by the emotion in Cormac McCarthy's The Road will not want to miss Jared Maralt's The Fall. After just losing his wife, one father will have to face a world in freefall, shaken to its core by an economic, social, political, and health crisis without precedent. Facing seemingly unreal and very unexpected dangers, he will do whatever it takes to protect his loved ones in a country on the brink of collapse. 
In this internationally acclaimed series, Jared Merrill not only tells the story of one family struggling to survive, but also questions the very reasons that brought mankind to this apocalypse. This collects the fall one through six. Uh, Matt reviewed the fall on the show, right? Yeah. And you really liked it. I loved it. And the art is intense. Meralt is one of those very like drafter, like drafting style where his city views are incredible. And you can tell his points of view. He is thinking and turning the camera in his head and paying very close attention. It's a beautiful book. Looking forward to it. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along with us. So hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all of these comics so you can play along. And don't forget to grab the THN Book Club read for this month, Scene of the Crime, reprinting the classic Vertigo crime noir story by the master Ed Brubaker with art by Michael Lark and Sean Phillips. It's available at your local comic shop right now. I didn't know Sean Phillips was on it, too. He inked it. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's right. We talked about that. I forgot. Yeah, we did. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 613. And next week, we're back to reviewing new comics. And we're either going to talk about uh, some comic pushers, Dick Grayson stuff, or perhaps just who the hell is this Black Knight? We'll see. Time will tell. Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week. I'll do it. This week's question was submitted by us. It's almost St. Patty's Day, and we want to hear about your favorite Irish characters. And bonus, who's your favorite substitute hero? Yeah, let's hear about it. We talked about Hey, you know heroes. what? Or substitute villain. I almost think we should save that. Oh, come on. Yeah, new villain. We'll save that for a whole nother. That'll be a whole nother cosmic oh, long man, box. Yeah, why not ring a concept out as much as we can? Come on, man. <laughs> Marvel does it. All right, yeah, all right. Then favorite, favorite substitute hero. Now, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following hit us up on our live call-in show thn cover to cover every saturday at 11 central standard time hosted on our facebook page we got an event again call- i make an event every week out of it hey me off. great job you can call us at 402-819-4894 or join zoom live by clicking on the link in our facebook live video chat if you can't be there live we're, see, we're doing it too. Live, live, live. Bye, bye, bye. Or you want to submit anything for a show segment, shoot us an MP3 to twitternerd at gmail.com or leave us a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Remember, if you're sending in your answers via voicemail or MP3, please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the nerds. If you're new to this show and you'd rather get beaten to a bloody pulp and thrown into a smokestack than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. And hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. We're talking thousands of episodes. And we want to thank donors like Benjamin Holmes, that friggin' dude who I don't think we've ever mentioned him before. Is he a new guy? No, I think we have. He's been with us since 2017, so hey. I hope we've mentioned him. Well, I hope we don't remind him to stop making payments. <laughs> There's nothing to see here, Benjamin Holmes. You don't even notice the money when it's gone. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Joe Simon and Jack Kirby because we are recording on Captain America Day 80 years ago. Eh, it might have been today, but it was definitely in March. Yeah, Marvel Captain, says today. <laughs> Captain America number one hit the stands. Word to you, Simon and Kirby. Uh, Something I forgot to mention in my Captain America review is that if you looked very closely, Kieran Dwyer kept hiding hidden messages in the smoke from the Red Skull's little cigarette. The first one said, hi, mom. The second one said Kirby. And the third one said Simon. So he was paying tribute to Simon and Kirby in that anniversary issue. He knew what was up. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just dress you up like Hitler and punch you in the face. This is a two-headed nerd signing off.